0: Hello, thank you very much for joining us for another week of Secret Lives of Leaders, the podcast bringing you some of the greatest leaders in the UK talking about their entrepreneurial journeys. And today we have no exception. We have the awesome Michael Acton-Smith, a.k.a. once named the Willy Wonka of entrepreneurs in the UK. Uh, He's going to be talking about his journey which covers a lot of different companies. And anyone that's the same age as me, which is 30, you're going to know the uh, his original company, Firebox. You'll probably have been uh, given or gifted yourself one of his famous toys, which was a drinking chess set. And uh, he then goes on to explain the journey from that, the transition into Moshi Monsters with Mind Candy, which was pretty much his legacy for a long period of time. And finally, his journey with, uh, most recently, Calm, um, rich can you give us some insights that Michael's going to talk about today
1: yeah so I think what's really interesting about Michael's uh, story is the fact that he's kind of done so many businesses and had successes and failures along the way he kind of talks about the mental aspect of running a business uh, and that's kind of linked with his like latest company as you say calm which is doing super super well uh, globally you know with so many people uh, getting into meditation and things like that so uh, yeah he's he really kind of tells this story of of ups and downs and, and the emotional roller coaster with it. I mean,
0: he's been a pretty successful guy. He's, he's got a very public figure in the UK. He's recently moved to San Francisco just because of the growth of of calm. But uh, you know, he's very real and very honest. And um, if you want to hear quotes just like, "There's no point becoming a billionaire
2: if everyone thinks you're a dick,"
0: then um, you're in the right place. You've come to the right place, and you've listened. To the right leader this week.
1: And he's our second guest, or with an OBE? MBE? Is he
0: MBE? I mean, a lot of people have an MBE that we interview. We're the only ones without one. Anyway, should we just crack on? From Runway East Studios in London, welcome to the Secret Lives of Leaders. today's guest is a man who's been described as the tech version of Willy Wonka. From setting up popular e-commerce websites with university friends to extravagant online games, Michael Acton Smith has always had a drive as a maker. His biggest success, Moshi Monsters, grew to over 100 million registered users and expanded to over 150 countries around the world. It's not all been plain sailing though. His businesses have come within days of missing payroll and after booming success, Mind Candy has found it challenging reproducing its second hit. More recently, our esteemed guest has focused his attention on raising awareness and building businesses in the mental health space, an area very close to his heart. Without further ado, welcome Michael. Thank you. Good morning. So can we start at the beginning? You were born in Marlowe in 1974. What was your first day on earth like? No, I'm just joking. What kind of upbringing <laughs> did you have?
2: Uh, I had a, a great upbringing. I was... Um, yeah, spent my my early years in this lovely sleepy town, Marlow, on the River Thames. It's a very and beautiful
0: part of the country. It's a great,
2: great place. Have you been? I have. Yeah, it's amazing. Um, I
0: always describe it as Britain's
2: Santa Barbara. It's kind of like that. that. I haven't heard that one before, but it was great. Very supportive parents. Uh, wonderful sister. Very uh, kind of um, uh, encouraging. I Older think that's sister. No, she's younger. She's okay. she's an actress. Okay. Uh, she's been in EastEnders and Casualty and The Bill and all sorts of uh, other wonderful British hits. Um, and yeah, just just I think one of the most important things was having parents that encouraged and uh, put up with all my crazy, hairbrained ideas. So I. What did I, they do? Well, for instance, I said I wanted to um, breed koi carp and uh, started digging up the back garden. And they were like, OK, give it a go. I tried to set up a golf course uh, again in the back garden. Um, and they humored me with all these silly ideas. I put on a BMX stunt show uh, and advertised it. No one came apart from my mum who paid the, the 5p entry fee. So, um, <laughs> so I think having that kind of very supportive parents was hugely valuable. Um, what did they do? Were they entrepreneurs? So my dad um, taught uh, English and, and history at an American airbase in in the UK. And he was stationed all around the world uh, with the U.S. military, and then his passion has always been books, and I can, that flowed through to me. So um, before he retired, uh, he was the librarian, which was his his big dream. So that was uh, that was um, yeah his love of books. And my mum came to England when she was very young from Ireland. Uh, she became a nurse, and then she set up her own chiropody practice. So she's uh, she's quite entrepreneurial.
0: Okay, Okay, so do you think that that kind of uh, upbringing specifically impacted you? Or can you sort of trace some of your early childhood moments to the first steps towards this journey? Because you've done a lot of different things, and like you say, a lot of them are quite wacky.
2: Yes, and I I think it is. A lot of it does come from, um, yeah, this very positive, this very nurturing, encouraging childhood, where even if I come up with silly ideas that don't work, um, you know, there's no kind of blame or criticism it's like just keep trying try 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 again
0: so i once heard a story about you selling rocks
2: oh. um, and <laughs> yes. that brings,
0: brings us nicely into the fact that you studied geography at university any, yes. any like, correlation nice. beautiful segue there <laughs> yeah. yeah any yeah. correlation
2: <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a natural it wasn't geology but you know it's close so the, the rock the rock idea was um another harebrained uh, business concept uh found some rocks in the, the front garden sat outside uh my house and tried to sell them to passers-by... Uh, and it seemed like a great idea because you know huge margins rocks are free <laughs> um, but uh, I didn't manage to sell any and that was quite, uh, quite did, you, did
0: you have some people like, almost in the throes of uh, being convinced by your sales pitch or was everyone just walking past thinking there he is again with his rocks
2: <laughs> day 200 <laughs> it's really quite sad Rock were you 25 at this point <laughs> uh, <laughs> slightly, slightly younger but no a few um a few friendly neighbours did stop and humour me and have a little chat but uh, yeah didn't manage to make any sales sadly. So why geography? Well I uh, I didn't really know what I want to do when I went to university. I was a bit uh, confused. I knew I wanted to go. I was quite excited. I guess um, also
0: on that point like why university? I, I think listening to your story it actually strikes me as odd that you'd go to university.
2: Yeah it was it just felt like the thing to do. You know at my school everyone pretty much everyone was going And um, as I said, I didn't really know what I wanted to do. Uh, So someone told me that geography was only four hours a week and it had the best looking girls. And I thought, all right, we'll give this a go. Sounds (laughs) like
0: my choice to do art history.
2: (laughs) Um, And it was great. But also, you know, I love I love travel. I love the world. Um, Yeah. Fascinated by that aspect of it as well. So um, I loved it. So what did you
0: learn at university? Like what sort of transferable skills? Or do you look back on it a little bit like, well, you know, it was fun. And that's it, was,
2: it was fun. I think I, I was pretty um, kind of shy when I went to university. And so one of the biggest things was it gave me a little more confidence. I've met uh, some of my best friends at university, Matt Schoen and Tom Boardman and, mm. and several others. Uh, I joined a lot of clubs and societies, everything from um, uh, the chess club to the go-karting society to uh, debating club. And oh, uh,
0: So many segues. You're uh, <laughs> killing me. OK, well, we'll go. We'll go with Tom. So you met Tom, who ended up being your co-founder at Firebox at university. Yes. So take us through that. So was that sort of co-founder love at first sight? Was it just we're best mates, we experiment on trying some
2: business ideas? How did that all come about? So we were in the same halls and uh, we kind of met on a a chess club um, night out, very rock and roll. (laughs) And uh, yeah, it just became... um, Sort of partners in crime at university, getting up to lots of adventures, uh, lived together in the uh, the second and, and third year. And um, and then when we left university, I think we both knew that we wanted to do something. We didn't quite know what as, as entrepreneurs, but we both got sensible jobs for a little while. I thought... Um, what was a sensible job? Well, Tom... Uh, programmed breathalyzers uh for the police which is quite cool he yeah. was um he was able to get drunk during the day to calibrate his machines yeah, that's so that's quite quite sensible yeah uh i watched wall street and uh thought uh, the coolest job in the world would be to go and work in an investment bank and uh <laughs> with my red braces and barking orders into phones and i did that for a little while um uh, or tried to get into that world and just realised it wasn't quite as glamorous as it seemed on TV. Uh, so um, yeah, we we would meet up in the pub and talk about business ideas and eventually came up with one that we loved and quit our jobs and and that was the uh, the start of Hotbox.
0: Take us through Hotbox and then Firebox. I'm going to make a huge assumption that it became clear quite quickly that Hotbox wasn't quite appropriate
2: for a consumer business. Yes. Yeah. Hotbox. Okay. <laughs> uh, Hotbox, we register Hotbox.co.uk. Uh, because the products were so hot they were bursting out of the box. (laughs) Uh, We were so creative. Um, uh, But hotbox.com was uh, one of the biggest porn sites at the time. So uh, that confusion wasn't ideal. So we changed the name to Firebox. Um, But no, the the idea came, I was down, Tom's parents lived in Cardiff and uh, we were um, in Cardiff one day and we went to a bookshop. This is about 1998, I think. And uh, we saw this huge book on the shelf of uh, a Cardiff bookshop called I'm Doing Business on the Internet. And like we both knew a little bit about the internet. Tom had done an AI and computer science degree and I was intrigued by it, but it certainly wasn't, you know, mainstream. And we bought this book. We cobbled together our money, and it just blew me away. I, like, I've never been so obsessed with one book. It was fascinating. Um, and it was at that point that we thought, right, we've got to do something on this internet thing. It's going to mm. be big. You know, what if we could sell products? And it would be better than having a shop or a catalogue. You could update stock quickly. You could um, have uh, photos, and like uh, just it seemed so huge. And how old uh, were you at this time? We were sort of early 20s. So yeah, just recently, um, sort of about a year or so out of university. And, uh, and that was the start.
0: So your hit success with Firebox was drinking chess, which incidentally, um, I once bought for my friend on his 17th birthday and no one else got him a present. And he got so wasted, he literally said, Murray, get the fuck out of my house and take your fucking present with you. Now, consequently, <laughs> he's never had another present from me ever again, but oh, we always laugh about it. But I'm he did get rest second. off that particular drinking chest and it really was an amazing present. It was just an amazing eye-catching uh, conversation piece more than anything. Apart from I was asked to leave with it, which was
2: great because I could re-gift it.
0: <laughs> um, so take us through that. What, what, where did that idea come
2: from? It, it was great. So that, that wasn't the initial start uh, to Hotbox slash Firebox. We, we'd started, um, we didn't really have any money to buy stock. Uh, we'd actually uh, needed to raise some some cash. So we did some uh, clinical drugs trials uh, in uh, Merthyr Tidville where we got paid £400 for a week of being injected with a new anti-migraine drug, uh, and we survived and were able to buy a computer. That's a whole another story. Um, so, uh, and but, your
0: hair was like, you know, you had a shaved head back there. Yes, it so just now completely. Just yeah,
2: changed, changed everything. Understood. But um, so, yeah, we didn't really have stock. So what we'd do is we'd list a product on the site, and if anyone uh, bought it, we'd then try and uh, call up the manufacturers or suppliers to buy it and then ship it out to them. <laughs> so it wasn't the most efficient uh, business. Um, and uh, it was also quite difficult to order off our site because uh, there wasn't you know, all the off-the-shelf uh, e-commerce packages back then. Tom had to build everything. So to order, back in the day, you had to um, find our page to get the order form. You'd print off this page, write in your details with your credit card details, and then fax it to us. And I would receive these faxes, and then in the evening, I would, with our little PDQ banking machine, Uh, type in the details and uh, that was how we would process our like about one or two orders a week so it was very difficult we almost gave up because um just no one knew about us. And then we had the breakthrough where we thought, uh, what if we could make chess more exciting by combining it with alcohol? And uh, the rest is history. The thinking man's drinking game was born. Yeah, <laughs> just for the benefit of our listeners, how does drinking chess work? It's, it's just like normal chess, but you replace the pieces with shot glasses. So you have little, little shots for the pawns. Uh, you have square ones for the rooks. And you have a big uh, three-shot-worth um, queen. And then you play as normal. Every time you capture a piece, you have to drink it. So this wonderful inbuilt handicap system, the better you're doing in the game, the more drunk you're getting. So you can make a queen sacrifice and uh, <laughs> make your opponent so drunk they don't know what they're doing. Um, and it was it was great. And the big thing we learned from that was the power of story. You know, it was, it was we put, cobbled together a press release, we put it out there, and uh, the, the media loved it. It was, it was in... Um, Uh, we've got in The Sun, we got an FHM and Loaded and and those, uh, we realised that that was such an amazing way of growing a business. Mm -hmm. So that was where we started to generate orders and grow.
0: If you're trying to grow your startup and you're dealing with companies outside of the UK, you're probably going to need ISO 27001 at some point. It's not the sexiest acronym, but it's basically the global standard for proving your security practices are up to scratch, like how you handle customer data. The same goes with SOC 2, you're going to need it if you're a SaaS company. But achieving these security frameworks can be very tedious and very costly. This is where our partner, Vanta, comes in. Vanta automates up to 90% of the work for certifications like ISO 27001, SOC 2, GDPR, HIPAA, and more getting you audit-ready in weeks instead of months, and saving you up to 85% of the cost. And as a special offer, our listeners get 20% off Vanta. Just head to vanta.com slash secretleaders. That's V-A-N-T-A dot com slash secretleaders for 20% off. There's a link in the description. Look, you know I'm fascinated by AI. As a teenage boy, and now a 30-year-old boy, um, I've, I've always been a customer of Firebox. And it's quite interesting because um, the, when you're that way inclined as a man, you just, there's always a way or a reason or a stupid excuse as to why you can find some kind of fun present from Firebox. It's just got that kind of variety. It's not very sensible, but it's like the perfect gift machine, that website. Um my question to you is, what what's happened with it? Who's running it now? You haven't been involved in it in a while. Um, you know, on the surface, as a consumer, it looks to be as good as it ever was.
2: Yeah, it's, you know, it's about 17 years old now, which mm. is quite old for an um, e-commerce company. And uh, yeah, still going strong. So Tom, Tom is running it uh, with another friend of ours called Chris and uh, got a great team based in, in Shoreditch. And uh, we've never really done much advertising. It's all been very, very strong word of mouth and um sort of pr and uh yeah we just i personally love it just love coming up with finding these weird and wonderful products around the world and uh yeah great for people buying for themselves but also wonderful for unusual gifts so yeah got a special place in my heart
0: did you ever have like an interest to exit it was always or was it one of those e-commerce businesses where actually it's like well you know what like we're happy and so and it's got a great brand yeah, what's we've had, what's we've, that?
2: We've had a number of conversations over the years, but never kind of quite found the, the right uh, connection. Right. And um, yeah, still still going well. I think we'd, we'd be open to having conversations, but um, uh, it just... So it if Jeff Bezos me.
0: is listening, well, <laughs> then... Nicole, <Jeff. laughs> uh, but,
2: uh, e- you know, e-commerce is not easy in the era of Amazon. You've really got to develop your own products, your own brand with big, big margins. So mm. it's not straightforward selling other people's products, which is why one of the key areas that Firebox does is tries to come up with new stuff that we develop ourselves. So uh, again, that's one of the areas I love. And what's your involvement still? So Tom's running it. Yeah. Um, Lovely man. Tom and uh, Chris. Chris Tom and Chris. Chris is the MD. Um, And uh, so I'm the chairman, still a director, still a shareholder. Okay. And uh, yeah, so still um, uh, sort of... um, pop by every now and then and uh, make sure everyone's all right. Fair enough.
0: And then straight after that, I mean, just looking online, you might have a different story, but just straight after that, you went on to Perplex City. Yes. So tell us a bit about Perplex City. Where did that idea come from? What's the big vision and what's the story behind it?
2: So that was the start of Mind Candy. So Mind Candy's first product uh, was this game called Perplex City, and it was inspired by a book I read when I was young called Masquerade which was a treasure hunt and uh, you'd read this book and there'd be clues, stories and pictures to try and find this hidden golden hair and uh, it just blew my mind. I thought it was such an amazing idea and uh, so many years later I thought wouldn't it be amazing to recreate that in the internet age uh, where sort of the, the online community would be the connective tissue kind of trying to solve all these puzzles we put out there. So that was the start of Perplexity, City, uh, raised uh, quite a bit of money for it, uh, about $10 million uh, from some fantastic investors. Um, we created a global treasure hunt. We buried a £100,000 treasure and we put clues out uh, all over the place. Um, in real world, world locations, we had live meetups. We put clues into newspapers on dozens of different websites, mobile phone messages, you name it. It was a very, very big, ambitious, complex project. How long was that going for? I
0: mean, how did you raise funding for that? What's the yeah. story behind that? Because that is... I mean, mind-blowingly ambitious.
2: Yeah, so Ray raised about $10 million and uh, had, a, had a team of about 20 people. Okay. It took about a year and a half to build, and then we launched it around 2005. And uh, it was amazing. It, it got loads of um, press. It had a lot of word-of-mouth buzz. Uh, um, but uh, as creative as it was, it was uh, a bit of a commercial disaster, if I'm honest. Um, and I think the biggest thing was that it was just too complicated. You know, it was such a, a fascinating concept, but there was just too much involved. You had to um, really commit and dive in deep to play this game because uh, it wasn't just on one platform. It was a huge multimedia experience mm. and very few people had the time and the kind of um, uh, the sort of inclination to, to dive that deep into it.
0: And you say that that then led into Mushy Monsters. Yes. So Mushy Monsters is probably, I mean, until we do this in two years and won't be anymore, fortunately, but currently the thing you're best known for um so take us through the story of mushy monsters because that is a true global phenomenon
2: yeah so this perplexity was kind of a um sort of as we realized it wasn't really working, it was a really mm. tough, just, stressful time.
0: Can I just ask, just on that, like, wh- what was the trigger for you to realize it wasn't working? Like, how difficult was that? Was it like just a clear day where you were like, you know what, this, this just isn't working? Or was it a real war of attrition, as founders find sometimes, where you just suddenly, it's not sudden at all. You've known it for a long time, you won't accept it. Which which of the two?
2: It was definitely a, a, a multi month uh, process of realizing that. And, uh, you know, I wish it could have been a, a simple thing, but you're constantly as, a, as entrepreneurs fighting this battle thinking if something isn't working I just need to work harder at it and you know that the the gold is almost uh, just around the corner Mm. or do you think god enough is enough let's cut losses here and move on to the next thing so grappled with that for months and months and months but it was a a deep deep feeling in my gut that was this just isn't gonna click Um, and uh, best we take the the bit of cash we have left and try and roll the dice one more time, and so that's uh, where Moshi Blossom from.
0: Interesting. So it was technically um, technically Moshi Monsters part of per- Perplex City, the company.
2: Ah, uh, it was. So the company was Mind Candy, and oh, okay. uh, uh, Perplex City was our first creation. Understood. Was our first IP, which uh, we still own, and then Moshi Monsters was our second IP that we developed. And so how much uh, cash do you have in the bank left at the point of starting Moshi? We were we were definitely uh, well under a million dollars. amazing. Um, yeah. So, you know, still had a, a bit of firepower there. But when you've got a team of 20 people and you're burning through cash and hiring helicopters and <laughs> hosting events all around the world, mm. that goes extremely quickly. So we had to make a very tough decision. Uh, big, big layoff, which was uh, uh, very painful for everyone involved. And uh, yeah, Moshi just came from this um, some scribbles I'd been doing in a coffee shop. Uh, I'd been inspired by Tamagotchi. I thought that was a, a wonderfully mm. simple idea. Created these, drew these little monsters and thought, wouldn't it be amazing if we could bring them to life online? What if kids could adopt these monsters um, and look after them and nurture them and do puzzles with them and go on adventures? And uh, that's how Moshi started.
0: Do you think you would have been able to get a million pound of funding for that idea if you didn't have the million pound to start developing it?
2: It does sound a bit wacky. Yeah, it was a little unusual, and we were trying to um, we were trying to spark this off uh, sort of two thousand and seven, two thousand and eight, during the the yeah. global financial meltdown. Yeah. So, trying to raise money for a kind of pet monster project uh, wasn't the easiest uh, thing to do then. So, I think it would have been very, very tough, especially coming off the back of. Um, you know something that hadn't worked, uh, like Perplex City. So I think it was very fortunate and very, very grateful to my you know investors at Index and Spark and Excel, and a chap called George Robinson who kind of backed me and said, "This is a bit crazy. This is completely different. But you know, um, go for it. Let's see what happens." So what did happen? Well, we. Uh, <laughs> The small team that were left at Mind Candy. So how many of you were left at this point? I think uh, there's about five or six of us. Okay. So pretty tiny. Did you have to move
0: off like the whole thing. Uh,
2: we kind of trimmed um, down our office. I think we stayed. We stayed in the same place. Okay. Um, uh, had a, a very cheap uh, location in Battersea, and uh, yeah, we cobbled together a website. Uh, we found an amazing artist in, in France to, to draw uh, the monsters, and uh, we put Moshi Monsters live. And the way we were going to monetize it was through these little phone charms that you would buy um, from retail shops. And inside the packets would be a code that you type into the website uh, to unlock the experience. And uh, about three people bought them. (laughs) It was a huge failure. Uh, How many did you produce? um, I... I hate to say it, but I think we bought about 40,000 of them. So, right. you know, most are still sitting in a warehouse somewhere. You, so always learning new lessons. Always learning new <laughs> lessons about what an MVP is. Exactly. Yes, exactly. we, we so, all go through that. That was a bit silly, but um, we just it was just, again, in hindsight, it's just such a stupid thing to do. You know, no one knew this brand. It was really hard to get retailers to take it. Parents didn't know about it. Kids didn't know about it. So then we came up with the brilliant idea of, all right, let's stop worrying about how we're going to make money for this game. Let's just build something that kids are going to love. And... Uh, Um, start there make Moshi Monsters completely free and uh, the day we did that we went from about you know a couple of signups a day uh, I think it jumped to hundreds of signups the the next day and then we got mentioned on some very random um, uh, Swedish website Uh, which was um, run by a lady in Stockholm. And uh, we jumped to 5,000 signups a day. I'm like, oh my God, this is crazy. And then what would happen is every child at a school that would sign up and adopt a monster, um, the next day we'd see um, a little burst of activity in that school. And then it would jump to cousins and friends. And uh, it just started growing from crazy from there.
0: Take us through some of the numbers, because the numbers are absolutely staggering.
2: Yeah, so pretty slow originally, and uh, the the tipping point was um, sort of around 2009. uh, So it was two years in. So it was a real grind. You know, to be honest, uh, we did have to raise a little bit more money from our investors just to keep the lights on. Uh, And yeah, towards the end of 2008, very, very difficult. I knew we had something here. You know, the the gut feeling was very different to Perplex City. Kids loved it, and it was spreading by word of mouth, but we still hadn't figured out, you know, the monetization. So um, we, uh, we then came up in early 2009 with the idea of making it a, a freemium model, a subscription, £5 a month, uh, kids could get access to more puzzles, more adventures, um, just extra content. And uh, I remember the night we put it live. Um, uh, we didn't really know what was going to happen. And uh, within sort of minutes of that paywall going up, uh, we had our first order. And, you know, the whole office was high-fiving each other. And then about two minutes later, we had our second one, then our third one. And uh, we went home exhausted that night and came in the next day and uh, had hundreds and hundreds of orders. And um, we knew then at that point that there was something uh, really amazing going on.
0: And presumably that kind of growth can't be sustained on the investment you had left. So did you have to go out and raise
2: more? And was it from the same investors? Well, yes. Yeah, so the same investors came in and gave us a little bit of money just to test to see whether the uh, sort of subscription model would work. Yeah. But I think we did about 25 grand. Uh, that first month, we put subscription live. It doubled to about 50 the next month, doubled the month after that, and we were at break-even um, really quickly. So, um, so, so you then didn't have to raise any more? We did raise more subsequently, but um, that was off the back of you know unbelievable momentum where right. we were signing up one new customer as a second, uh, where it's super profitable and, and things are really taking off. So um, yeah, the real tipping point was about the summer of 2009, uh, um, uh, where we started... Uh, um, complementing all the word of mouth growth with some uh, paid uh, acquisition and TV was the, the key channel for Moshi. And you even ended up having a film. We did. I mean, that was that was several years later. Okay. But um, with the the key was just realizing that kids love this universe so much, this world, these stories. It was so much more than just a website. They had a deep, deep emotional connection to it. And uh, we realized that What if we could um, take this love and this passion uh, offline as well? Mm. So we did a deal with Penguin. They were our first partner to create Moshi Books. Uh, Then we did Moshi Trading Cards, Magazine, Toys, DS Game, uh, a a music album that went gold uh, um, that uh, was number four in the UK charts without any airplay. The magazine was the number one best-selling kids' magazine. It outsold The Economist and Vogue and FHM. What, more kids were
0: reading that than The Economist? Yes. I can't yeah. believe that.
2: <laughs> Not <laughs> many kids read The Economist. There's a lot we about Brexit. <laughs> But um, And the DS game was the number one best-selling DS game in the country. It was just, everything just seemed to turn to gold. It was a phenomenal, extraordinary journey. And then Universal uh, did a theatrical release movie with us. Um, what was it like pioneering about, the company at that point? I, you know you think back to
0: it, it's obviously you've taken yourself away from that and you're in a different environment now. So mm. just think back to being the founder of, the sole founder as well. So the sole founder of that concept with all these people with so much success and such high growth success in such a short period of time and all the lines you've just you know, told us about, that is a creative's absolute dream, surely. I mean, you must have been on cloud nine or was there... You know, a deeper sort of anxiety.
2: It was it was mind blowing. But you know, when you're in the eye of a storm like that, you don't really pause. Um, you should, but you don't, and kind of stop and think. Oh my God, this is amazing. We've created one of the most exciting new IPs for for kids in an incredibly competitive environment. And mm. so I was lucky. You know, I, I I was the initial founder of Mind Candy, but along the journey, who um, was effectively a co-founder as well, was Davinia Knowles who was the brilliant yin to my yang. Uh, She's an incredible operator and uh, finance brain. And so uh, the two of us were effectively running the show. And that gave me the freedom to do all the creative um, side of things and the PR and um, help with the marketing and so forth. And then, um, yeah, we had Toby as our CTO. We had Darren running licensing. We had Ed doing marketing. We had Rebecca looking after the community. It was a a, a very, very strong um, management team we had. And, uh, yeah, it just... It just clicked in in an amazing way, and, um, and
0: what you know, I guess, like all growth, eventually you hit a peak, and you know you have to question how how to grow again. Or mm. like, so what, what were those discussions like, and were they mostly internal? Were they with your investors? Was it do we attack new territories? Do we create new product lines? Do we create new IP, new new titles? What were those sort of decisions? Because again. A lot of the people that we interview um, go through a journey, a successful slow journey of, you know, even Moonpig. You know, it's just like recurring revenue growing each year. There's no major, like, explosion of growth in such a short period of time. And it must be very confusing to know what to focus on next, (laughs) especially if everything's successful.
2: Yeah. Yeah. No, we had a very, very simple strategy. It was uh, a digital heart to the business. Um, So we'd uh, get subscription revenue, which was uh, reasonably predictable and, and recurring, very, very high margin. So that was great. And then we had around that was the, uh, the physical products, uh, which was a licensing model predominantly, um, and both brought in about uh, half, half our revenue online and offline. But the online fed into the offline and, and vice versa. And it was, as I say, just such a powerful model and we thought it would just continue growing year after year. You know, I think we, um, at our peak year, we were doing about $80 million in revenue. Uh, very, very profitable. And uh, we thought we'd just keep doubling, tripling every year. Um, and then the plan was to use the, uh, the, um, the cash to start spinning up new IP. And so we had uh, a labs business where we were testing and uh, experimenting with lots of new ideas. Um, but in 2012, uh, we hit a peak and Moshi in the playgrounds went from being the coolest, hottest thing uh, to not being the coolest and hottest thing. And it was extraordinary. It just caught all of us by surprise how fast that switch can happen. And um, we as fast as it grown, it started to, to come down, and that was terrifying.
0: Do you like how really interesting things is in a children's market as well? So, how do you find out? Like, how do you the market research about what it is that changes? Do you see what I mean? It's quite a uh, a careful, protective area. You can't just go like into a schoolyard and ask why people don't like your product anymore. They don't really understand the importance of why you're asking them the question. So, mm-hmm. you know, a lot of us go through those ups and downs, but you can always find, you know, run your market research evening with your beer and pizza and find out what it is that's changed that you've done wrong. Like, what, what did you do in those situations? How did you find out what made it uncool all of a sudden?
2: Well, I mean, we looked at the data so we could see, you know, um, sort of the, all the KPIs were starting to come down, subscriptions were dropping. Um, It was, you know, one of the big things was uh, Moshi had an amazing run. And if you look at most successful kids' IPs, uh, they are quite cyclical. The most successful ones will, and there's very few that you could say have been big uh, forever. You know, you can count them on one hand. And usually the younger end of the market, like Thomas the Tank Engine. Um, Apart from comic books, probably. Comic books. Well, yeah, but, you know, that's like a sort of, that's Absolutely. a media rather and than And that's what I am saying, apart from, from um, yeah, sure, I, or, I get what you're saying. So what normally happens, you know, you look at Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles or Transformers, they'll they'll have big bursts and then they'll be rested for a few years and they will come back. And I don't think we kind of fully appreciated this. Right. To say, we thought Moshi would keep going, but it, it, it just, it came down. So um, kids moved on to new things. Minecraft was emerging around this time. Uh, there was the big switch from uh, web where we were very, very dominant uh, to mobile. And I think we and a lot of other people thought the transition would be a lot easier than it was. And uh, creating successful uh, IP for kids in the mobile era is extremely difficult. You know, In a universe of millions of apps, most of them free, uh, kids can just bounce between them so quickly, which wasn't the case in sort of web, mm. where there were just a few big um, uh, web properties like Moshi and Club Penguin and others. So it's a combination of a couple of things that conspired to um, uh, to, to see, uh, yeah, this, this big this big drop.
0: Was there ever an interest to exit? I mean, you've got someone like Disney who would have been like perfect, you know, is that ever the idea?
2: Yeah, so we um, we had a number of discussions, um, but again, you know, we wanted to build, and some eye-popping uh, numbers were were offered, um, but we wanted to build. Uh, one of the greatest entertainment companies in the world. We were surfing this extraordinary wave. We thought we could replicate what we did with Moshi very easily with multiple IP. Uh, and then, you know, we've learned a tough lesson that uh, that's not as easy as, as it sounds. Um, we rent out, uh, we were trying to raise money at a billion dollar valuation at one stage and, and came pretty close. Um, so, uh, so yeah, you know, in hindsight, that, that would have probably been a, a better thing to do. Um, but... Uh, it's been a, a great, uh, unbelievable learning experience. And we still own Moshi. Yeah. Um, and mine is actually doing really well at the moment. We have been through a tough time. Five rounds of redundancies, uh, um, some... Some uh, challenging uh, press uh, we've had out there, but uh, we've got an amazing CEO, uh, Ian uh, Chambers, running the company at the moment, and um, uh, a brilliant team. And uh, Moshi is is being sparked back to life at the moment. We have a great new IP called Petlandia, um, so uh, very excited about where where it's going. Take us
0: through Petlandia, then. So, uh, what's the vision behind that, and what's the and is, and do you see Mind Candy creating more products like that? Is that the next wave?
2: Yes. Yeah, so, Mind Mind Candy uh, basically creates. Um, or creates worlds that fire the imagination. You know, we've done it several times, Moshi being the biggest, but Petlandia is a new world, a new universe where pets become stars, where, you know, what would happen if um, uh, dogs became YouTube stars or hamsters were on Snapchats? And we wanted to mix up pop culture with this trend around... Uh, people wanting their their pets to become famous, um, such as yourself. Yeah, I, can, I can relate. <laughs> and uh, Grumpy Cat and all these other uh, uh, pet stars that Grumpy are out cat there. Grumpy Cat is one rich cat. Oh, it's done amazingly well. Yeah. Um, $60 billion a year are yeah. spent in America alone just on pets. And it's an incredible growth market. Yeah. Uh, so we felt there was something there. And basically what the first product we launched was a book where you can send us, uh, you can create your pet and uh, we turn it into this beautiful personalized book. And then we're going to be creating a whole host of other products where your pet can be featured on mugs and clothing and and you name it. And in your community of friends and family and work colleagues, uh, you can uh, turn your pet into a a star. So as a CEO (laughs) of the
0: company, as you were, you strike me as a type of CEO who's really the creative director. Um, Is that fair to
2: say? Uh, Or did you have a creative director? Well, um, so during the the growth of Moshi and and still at Minecaddy now, there's an amazing guy I've worked with um, called Steve Cleverly, who is uh, a musician and a creative genius. And uh, so we kind of riff and bounce off each other extremely well. But um, during the growth of Moshi, I was CEO and uh, very heavily involved in the creative side of things as, as well. And that, I think, works when you do have a very, very strong um, uh, second in command, such as Divinia, um, right. to help uh, sort of all the organizational side of things run smoothly. Um, and
0: were there like disagreements between the board at any point with like new product development? You know, it's, it, it's not your typical, you know, I've got a new product idea, it's not exactly the line of what we're doing. You know, they, by their very nature, you hope they're wackier than the next or more niche than the next or whatever it might be. So, how do you come to a decision together? That's kind of that thing I'm really
2: interested in. You know, it's so it's so creative.
0: Yeah. Well, so who's in the decision making process, and how do people agree on things or disagree on things in, a, in an environment like that? I think
2: a healthy board is when you have a, a strong CEO and a, a supportive board. The board shouldn't be making these decisions about what IP to launch next. Um, and they've been very supportive to us all along the way. We would come and present new ideas and tell them what we're going to do, and um, and then uh, yeah, they would uh, they would be supportive of that along along the way um and I think you know, but what we've realized uh is how challenging it is to be an entertainment company. Um, and it's not just creating games. It's in music. It's in film. Um, you have to roll the dice and cross your fingers. And hits are incredibly rare. And hiring um, talent there must be absolutely amazing. Hiring talent is tough, but you have to build that pipeline of, you know, multiple um, early stage prototyping. The few that, like, look promising, you green light and take them to the next stage. Mm. And kind of, uh, yeah, putting that all in place has, has been a, a big learning experience for us.
0: So you um, stepped down as CEO, and you know what was your what was your reasoning decision making process from doing that? And did you take
2: time off in between? Yeah, a little bit. So during the the time that Moshi was coming down, and we were launching multiple apps and, and desperately trying to kind of spark the, the growth again, it was very very challenging, um, very very difficult for several years. Lots of sleepless nights and stress and headaches, and you know not just me but the whole the whole company, and. Um, uh, so, yeah, I took a, a little bit of time off. Um, I went away, did the, something I'd never done before, taking a solo holiday, which, uh, you know, I've mentioned in my talks before, but I highly recommend for entrepreneurs. Um, really, Where did you go? So I went to uh, a place in Austria uh, called Stanglwirt, uh, which... Um, <laughs> uh, I, sw- I swear to God, I genuinely was waiting, sitting in my mind thinking, I
0: can't wait for him to name somewhere in India. It's <laughs> so, <be> so <laughs> obvious.
2: And he was just like, Austria... It, okay, was, fair enough. it was a bit it was just a bit random I love tennis and they have an amazing tennis uh, camp there so in the mornings i play a couple of hours of tennis then I'd go for a walk in the fresh alpine air splash around in the streams pet some goats, uh, um, and uh, eat healthy food. And, I and just, how long was this holiday? This was uh, a week. Okay. Um, and, uh, but I just took a ton of books and research papers. And I was, I'd was i set up um, Calm with my buddy, Alex Chu, uh, a little while earlier, but wasn't uh, heavily involved. Alex was running it over in San Francisco, and I was like the silent co-partner. Um, but I dived deep into this space of meditation and mindfulness, and had uh, been super intrigued but didn't really understand the neuroscience behind it. And uh, it just blew my mind. A huge light bulb went on. And uh, I realized uh, that meditation uh, isn't just sitting down and kind of clearing your mind and chilling out. You know, it's not a religious practice. Uh, It's not, it doesn't have to be spiritual and and woo-woo, which I think puts a lot of people off. I realized that it's effectively a really valuable skill. Uh, of training the mind it's mental fitness in the way that we go to the gym to train our bodies and we lift weights we meditate to train uh, the muscle in our brain to increase our attention um, our awareness and a whole range of other skills that are incredibly valuable in modern life for entrepreneurs and everybody else
0: so before we come on to uh calm because as you know i'm a big user and i love this sorry a big user of calm big user is not something that you want um typical or symptomatic almost of a creative is these different businesses in different areas and there's always some overlap as there always will be yeah so how uh, was that structured from a uh like a, a, a point of view from like mind candy into calm for example was there some overlap there was it like there was there actually full communication you know what i'm actually looking at this other thing like how does that work
2: uh so it was uh sort of over a little period of time they're all all these different businesses are separate entities yeah of course uh but i think it was just um uh conversations with divinia and and uh the board and um making sure that i wasn't letting anyone down and being able to be honest and open about the time being spent on on everything and uh i think you know the needle has managed to be thread threaded where it works so Mm. i can still you know i'm still chairman of of Mind Candy still um, heavily involved on the creative side, and still absolutely love the business and, and the team there. Um, but now spending more time on Calm, uh, and uh, so not one hundred percent yet on Calm. Or... Well, I'm I'm running it with with Alex yeah. and based uh, most of my time out in in san francisco so that is is definitely the the um the majority of, of my time and uh, yeah that business has really started to take off in the last year
0: um so calm is apart from being a, a passion project and something that actually impacts people's lives in a hugely positive way um and actually as a matter of fact tell you i can't remember if i've actually told you this but we do 10 minutes of calm before work oh, it's non-compulsory fantastic. Um, and only five or six people come. But that, it starts off just being me and one other uh, one other colleague. And now there's six of us. And of course, there is the whole roll your eyes, hippie, yeah. meditation wanker type thing going on. Yeah. But actually, by not engaging in it and just doing it every day, and, and one person extra coming in and doing it starts to actually bring people in. So my target is to get all 20, Fantastic. but at the moment, six. And it's a really great way to start the day. So A, thank you. B, um, the fact behind calm is it's an incredibly successful business. So um, we've heard rumours of uh, around a million dollars a month. Um, is that something that's really taken you by surprise, or because it obviously it's a freemium product again?
2: Yeah, with with a tiny team, uh, an amazing team, as I say, based in San Francisco. And uh, it's it's def- the last the first few years were were tough. I think you know there was this uh, sort of uh, perception, as you say, around mindfulness and meditation. And I think uh, the wave has definitely kind of uh, become much larger now. You know, you look at the press and and the word of mouth. So we're getting thousands and thousands of downloads a day organically. uh, And you know, something special is going on when that's happening. And people are very, very happy to pay to uh, see these benefits, such as sleeping better lowering their blood pressure, improving their emotional intelligence, uh, increasing their, their joy of life, improving their immune system. Many of these are benefits that are now backed by science and hundreds of research papers a year. So for $60 a year, or $12.99 a month that we charge, um, as I say, people are very prepared and happy to pay for that. So the business is very cash flow positive, um, growing incredibly quickly. And uh, I think we're, we're on to something uh, amazing. It's not just a, a very, can be a huge, hopefully multi-billion dollar um, commercial business, mm. but also I believe is, is improving the world. I know that's a bit of a cliche. No, I, I genuinely actually, are changing the world. Yeah,
0: I genuinely believe that as well. Um, do you ever kick yourself a little bit with it? Just think like, I can't believe something so simple is so profitable and so accessible and so popular. Because it is extremely simple. As someone who runs a mobile company, The app could not be simpler, and that's its beauty. Yeah. Um, And really, it's a content business. It's an audio content business.
2: Well, I think it is, you know, one of the biggest things I've learned on my many, many year entrepreneurial journey is uh, keep it simple. (laughs) Often, we just overcomplicate things all over the place, and usually the simplest solution is, is the best. And if you look at some of the most successful companies out there, they do... Um, Or they started by doing one thing phenomenally well. They didn't try and juggle. And and that often happens when an idea doesn't quite work. So then you kind of pivot a little bit and you try this. And suddenly you just build this kludgy, weird mess. And calm is super, super simple. And I think that is part of its success.
0: So you've just recently started doing nighttime stories as well. Sleep stories. Sleep stories. Yes.
2: Tell us about them. So again, you know, as I say, calm is more than a meditation. app. Is that under the umbrella of calm? calm. Yes. All, All part of calm. Okay. So what we're trying to do with calm is is enable people to to rediscover this state of calm. You know, it, it sounds obvious, but um, most of us in the smartphone age, always on, accelerated culture that we're living in, have forgotten how to be calm. And I think when you are calm, life is better. Your your relationships are better. You're a better leader. Um, you kind of uh, there are so many of these benefits. So uh, meditation is one very effective way of doing that. Uh, but sleeping better is another. And uh, so we launched these sleep stories, which are almost like bedtime tales for, for grown ups. We mix music and sound effects and, and very soothing voices to help lull you into a, a deep, uh, dreamy sleep every evening. Have you tried any of the apps that
0: um, you put on during the evening and they play sort of sounds for you throughout the entire night to keep you sleeping?
2: Yeah, there are lots out there and many have, have been very, very successful. Mm. But we wanted to kind of take that to a new level. You know, anecdotally, we've heard from so many people who struggle to sleep. Um, I think there's something like uh, 60 million subscriptions written every year in America for sleep medication. And that's not a good long-term solution mm. to sleep. So we wanted a more natural way of doing it. And I think there's something lovely about a story and a human voice late at night and again it, it helps us transition from what most of us do which is tap out one final email or do a little bit of social networking no wonder we can't get to sleep when our brains are still whirring and racing so it's uh we see it as this um this golden period this sort of transition between uh the hustle and bustle of the day and the calm of the nighttime.
0: a lot of people that you talk to um about meditation um, who've tried it, who fail, and I'm, I'm one of them. I try all the time and I'm still, you know, I force, like, as a co- company culture to try and get people to do it with me. I still find it incredibly difficult and that's after months and months and months. Um, just... You know, uh, giving people a bit of insight here, do you personally struggle to live some of the values of your own brand sometimes? I mean, you're not perfect and these are difficult things to do. So, sorry, you are perfect and these are difficult <laughs> things to do. But, you know, uh, take perfect. us through like actual insight from how difficult you personally find it. You're running a big business. It's exciting. It's high growth.
2: Do you not check your emails before you go to bed? Do you break your own rules? Absolutely, yeah. No, I wish I could sit here and say I kind of follow every principle. And, and no, it's a, it's a journey. It's a practice. And we get better and better over time. But uh, um, so, yes, there, there are days that I, I forget to, to meditate. There are days that I'm kind of emailing and on phone calls um, in the middle of the night. And um, uh, there are days that I lose my cool and, and temper, but I definitely have seen a, a step change from where I, I were. Uh, there was a period during the, the challenging times where, as I mentioned earlier, just um, really not sleeping well at all, um, had a lot of headaches pretty much constantly, was just exhausted. Yeah, uh, you know, the joy of work had just turned into a bit of a dull ache, and that has changed dramatically. So I think what what meditation does, um, as you do it more, is it just helps smooth out some of those kind of huge ups and downs of life uh, that entrepreneurs feel that kind of we're yanked around by our emotions so much. And I think you just you get a little more equanimity, a little more balance, a little more perspective. Um, Tim Ferriss described it, it brilliantly. He said that, you know, meditation for him changed life from being almost like a foot soldier in the trenches where you're just up against it and you're kind of sort of jumping from one thing to the next and now it's like standing at the back of the battlefield, like a general overseeing everything that's going on and choosing how you spend your time uh, more wisely. Um, I think he's also said that something like 80% of the high performers, uh, the amazing people that come on his show, meditate as mm. part of their practice. So there's definitely, definitely something, uh, well, something here in a Also,
0: a lot of them, including himself uh refer a lot on his show to having deep depression Mm -hmm. um and using meditation as a way of getting out of that and actually um you know there's a lot of initiatives now which uh state you know there aren't really any cures for depression so the best thing to do is to prevent it with proactive measures like you alluded to yourself training your mind um have you ever looked back on your journey in the tough times and thought back and be like shit i was actually depressed during that period i just didn't diagnose it or were you less british than that and aware of it at the time
2: (laughs) No. So I've, you know, never uh, suffered from uh, depression. I've definitely had, you know, good times and and bumpy times, but um, I've been trying to understand it better. So I've been reading a lot of uh, literature literature around it. Ruby Wax is incredible. Her journey, well worth reading. Frazzled, her latest book. It's an amazing book by Matt Haig called Reasons to Stay Alive. And, uh, you know, Basically, that there are a number of ways to to treat it. Um, Medication is is one, but but not ideal. And there's a a whole host of ways. So, meditation is not a silver bullet. Uh, There's a lot of other ways as well. But I think understanding it is valuable from someone Mm. like myself and Alex, who run a company, um, but also. From friends and other people who who have suffered, uh, to be able to work and support them in the best way, because obviously the worst thing you could say to someone in that kind of hole, as many people do, is "cheer up," you know, just pull yourself together. Yeah, of <laughs> uh, course, it's disastrous. And, yeah, it's not very empathetic. Yeah, and you know we're seeing this more more and more now, particularly with with entrepreneurs who who just the volatility they go through every day the challenges the learnings they have to go through um, it's no wonder that, that mental health is is a major issue in the entrepreneurial world mm-hmm. And um, so yeah I think we need to bring this more to the fore and I think that's slowly happening so meditate don't medicate I, I think that's a good way of putting it but, fair enough uh, always you consult your doctor first <laughs> <laughs> Dr. Acton Smith that is um, okay so what do you do in your downtime uh, well I love business and I love creating things so much that that kind of sort of uh is sprinkled across everything that I do do you advise do you invest do you spend time yes. in other people's businesses yeah no I love I love investing and, and have a um a great portfolio of different companies um I love events and hosting I love bringing people together so everything from dinners to music festivals um I lived in Soho for many years and did an event called Berwick Stock which was a music festival in my house. So we had uh, bands on the roof and bands in the kitchen and in little cupboards and uh, that was a lot of fun. Um, I set up Silicon Drinkabout back in the day and, and the amazing Three Beards took that on and you know, the rest is history there. Uh, I love playing poker, I think that's an amazing game for entrepreneurs, wonderful mix of maths and psychology. Uh, tennis is a big passion, I love running, play football, uh, reading, um, uh, voracious reader uh so yeah like to keep myself busy It's a lot of stuff
0: <laughs> so i mean what do you find that a lot of that's transferable out in the states as well so football for example
2: yes yes you able to well play that on the, the west coast do you know i haven't i've only played a couple of games of soccer yeah uh, out there definitely keen to get more it's not quite the whole five-a-side culture isn't as big over there no. sadly i'm gonna see if i can make it though so they say it's lonely at the top would you agree <laughs> with that statement uh, it can be. Um, but again, I think it depends how you frame situations. Um, so the great thing about uh, being an entrepreneur is that there are others in your situation. And, uh, you know, being part of a community, whether it's founders or ICE or many of the other entrepreneurial c- communities is I'd highly recommend. And I think that's super valuable. Mm, you always
0: seem very active in those actually. It's clear that you actually like, like to give as much as you like to get realistically.
2: Yeah, I, but also, you know, it's a, it's just because it's it's fun uh, connecting and chatting to other entrepreneurs and, and just meeting other people. Human beings are very social creatures, and I, I think uh, uh, we learn a lot from each other. It's very true. How would you describe yourself? <laughs> uh, I think that's a, a tough one. Um, it was designed to be tough, don't, don't worry. Uh, very resilient, uh, very, very curious, uh, very kind of um, sort of open-minded to new ideas and, uh, um, uh, opportunities, love going on adventures. Um, hopefully friendly, uh, grateful. I think that's a great, uh, very valuable, uh, sort of practice. Um, try and whenever I struggle sleeping, I try and think of things that I'm grateful for. And when you do that, there are, there are many things, no matter how tough things are in life. Is it really difficult for you to focus? Because again, all these new
0: ideas you must get so excited because you're one of the rare people that can come up with ideas and actually knows that you can make them people will back them you know have a great network you can turn them into real things and you must have ideas all the time So how do you deal with your own mind and calm yourself down, essentially, to say, like, I'm actually happy with what I've got at the moment?
2: Yeah. No, again, I think meditation is is valuable for that, Um, helping you focus and uh, not trying to do a million things at once. Uh, I've seen that with many entrepreneurs kind of just running in a million directions. And I I definitely used to be more like that. Focus is extremely important. Um, Danny Reimer at at Index uh, said years ago that, uh, you know, the main thing is to keep the main thing, the main thing. He's absolutely right. That's a great quote. Yeah, that, that discipline is so important because mm. ideas are not uh, the, the most valuable thing. Uh, execution is that's far more valuable. The number of people that come up with ideas all over the shop, but in the cold light of day, after you've been banging, sort of throwing around ideas in the pub, the true successes are the people then that sit down and start putting one foot in front of the other and making that thing a reality, even if it takes months and years.
0: I think in the UK, um, ecosystem specifically, you are looked up to by a lot of people, not just for your success, but actually just for who you are. So who do you look up
2: to? Well, I, uh, I love reading, um, business books and there are, there are many great ones over the years. I think, you know, it's an obvious answer, but for good reason, Richard Branson, I think is amazing. And yeah. I, I had uh, great, uh, Joy to um, spend some time on Necker a few years ago. What, what was um, it
0: like spending time with him? Did it match your expectations? Was it?
2: Or... Yeah, no, it, it exceeded them. He, um, you know, we spent a day wandering around uh, the, the neighboring island, Mosquito, and uh, he's very, very playful. He'd be jumping out of bushes. He's very competitive, like myself. So we had tennis. Tennis. We had a mini triathlon. He beat me at tennis, and he's in he a sixties. I think i said you play chess as well,
1: wasn't it? We
2: played. Yes. Yeah, so he beat me at tennis. So then I had to challenge him at, at, at tess Drinking tess Chess? chess? <laughs> no, no drinking no chess. drinking. no chess. No. Straightforward chess, and I I managed to uh, narrowly win at chess. How many hours did that take? It was it was a couple of hours. And okay, then, uh, then that's, uh, that's quite quick, really. Then uh, too bad. Then he got the backgammon board out, and we played a couple of games of backgammon, and oh, he fantastic. and he beat me at that. So I think if I'd stayed longer, we'd have probably, God knows what else uh, other games we'd have played. But he, I think he's incredible. And he manages to, you know, this very rare setup where he's been hugely successful. He he acknowledges that he hasn't always succeeded and there's been failures along the way. And he stayed humble and uh, kind of fun and enjoys the journey, which I think is is what it's all about. Yeah, totally. There great. are many billionaires out there who are not happy. And um, I think, uh, uh, yeah, that's um, uh, that's a really important thing. There's no point... Becoming a billionaire if everyone thinks you're a dick.
1: That's the title know? of the podcast. Right?
2: <laughs> <laughs> I was just looking at you, Rich, before
0: you become rich and famous. Just make sure that oh, you yeah, remember right, these words. Yeah. Um, okay, so finally, you must have had loads of good advice along the way. So, so you just mentioned one which was absolutely brilliant. Yeah. <laughs> um, any other wonderful nuggets of advice you've been given that really stuck with you?
2: Uh, I think uh, for my grandmother, um, you have two ears and one mouth use them in that ratio. Uh, There's a lot of people we meet in life who just love talking, and I think it's you gain so much more when you ask questions and kind of um, try and learn from others. Be curious. Be curious, very important. I think, um, again, learning from my dad, reading. um, There's so much knowledge in books. I think it's one of the sort of best use of time um, uh, for knowledge gained is is reading. And uh, again, a great quote is, um, you will become... um, uh, sort of the uh, in five years time you will be uh, the mix of the people you meet and the books you've read and I think that's so true um, hang around people that uh, uh, you like I know that seems obvious but so many of us uh, put up with radiators um, who suck energy and hang around with uh, no, sorry drains who suck our energy yep. instead of radiators who build us up and support us and mm-hmm. I think that's extremely Uh, important way of going through life Um, glass half full be positive uh, um, give back um, yeah enjoy the journey
0: here at mindset win we want to give you the tools to become better at what you do taking inspiration and wisdom from our guests we will hear
1: stories strategies tips and tricks
0: told by leading names in sport and beyond
1: you know what it takes to get to the very top
0: There will be two episodes each week packed with amazing stories and practical takeaways for us all to follow. Search for Mindset Win on YouTube and on your favorite podcast app. Wow, enjoy the journey indeed. That was a lot like uh, going on a roller coaster and um, it was very kind of him to take us. Through the ups and downs of quite a twisty and turny journey, which um, I've got to say, roller coasters aren't for everyone. They're not exactly for me either. But um, I'm very, uh, very, very touched and humbled that he spent that time sharing some of the insights about what went right and, more to the point, what went wrong. So. And such a good guest. Yeah. He was such a good guest, wasn't he? And, uh, just a lovely man. Yeah,
1: exactly. Really, really nice person. Very, very down to earth.
0: And really good people. piece of insight as well about drains and radiators. <laughs> Obviously, you've got
1: a good good plumbing experience. <laughs> exactly. Um, next week, we have a, another interesting guest, actually. Well, fortunately, we think all of our guests are interesting. We do, That's yeah. We're kind, of really kind of biased.
0: Um, but yeah, we have the uh, very, very charming uh, Chloe McIntosh, who was the co-founder of Mabe.com. And um, it's slightly unusual background for an entrepreneur and it really shows through with her. So she has that classic issue. She uh, she came from an architecture background and um, because her co-founder or the person that believed in her and gave her the money, etc., cetera, was um, obviously the very well-known Brent Hoberman. Uh, she got a lot of help along the way and a lot of great mentoring, but because Brent Hoberman is who he is and because of his network of such other high profile entrepreneurs, she definitely um, has, a little bit of the imposter syndrome that you hear so much about so despite all of her incredible success creativity and brilliance which shines through the whole time it's fascinating to hear at the end how she really sees herself and how she still doesn't necessarily feel like a classic entrepreneur so i thought that was really interesting
1: so if you want to listen to that episode make sure you subscribe to us we're on itunes uh, we're on youtube soundcloud and hopefully google play store soon Uh, so simply go along to any of those and hit subscribe so you make sure you don't miss out on any future episodes you can also check out our website at secretleaders.com where we have all the episodes where you can download and you can actually view the show notes and you can email us at hello at secretleaders.com so until next time thank you thank you